1: You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Today, we're going to have those conversations that help you earn and invest in your future so you can make the right decisions today. On this episode, Nicole Mayer talks about life transitions and how they affect your finances. Enjoy. I'll never forget the night Liz collapsed. She was a second-year resident a year ahead of me, and she was in the ICU that night taking care of patients. She got a severe headache, and then she collapsed. They took her down to the emergency room, and the CAT scan showed a mass, which eventually ended up being an aggressive brain tumor. She had multiple seizures that night, and a few hours later, she was back in the ICU, But this time, she was a patient and not the caretaker. I didn't see her for another six or seven months, and eventually I ran into her on my rheumatology rotation. At that point, her life had changed radically. She had been in and out of the hospital. She had had multiple surgeries and chemotherapy. She had gotten married. And now she was coming to take part in my rotation part-time. She would show up for a few hours, see a few patients, and that was the last I ever saw of her. Years later, practicing as a physician, I often wondered what became of her. Was she still out there somewhere practicing as a doctor, or did she eventually succumb to her cancer? There's no doubt that major life circumstances change not only our personal, but very often our financial plans. For some, it means not procrastinating for the first time. For others, it means letting go of a rigid framework that is holding them back. When we face illness and tragedy or even job loss, who is there to guide us through these difficult times? And speaking of guiding us, when was the last time you checked out Fiology.com? That's F-I-O-L-O-G-Y.com. That That is the place I go to learn about the financial independence community. You can see their 52 Phyology lessons that you can even have delivered to your inbox every week, as well as download their free Phyology workbook. It is a great resource for anyone interested in becoming part of the financial independence community. Check them out, phyology.com. Nicole Mayer is a partner at the Chicago-based Financial Advisory Second Opinion Partners and author of the book, Navigating Life's Transitions, Connecting Your Means to Your Meaning. Nicole, welcome to Earn and Invest. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you on the show here. Part of the reason I use that introduction is you have a healthcare scare yourself. Tell me about what happened to you.
0: So I was 25, just, you know, getting started in my career. And I was sick one night, ended up in the ER with this stomach issue, they said, You know, you're fine. It's maybe like a bug or something. Go back. Happened six months later, end up. And the first time I was in the ER, they did a CAT scan. The second time I was there, they said, Hey, what are you doing about that tumor on your liver that we found the first time? And I said, What do you mean a tumor on my liver? And I was in the emergency room. My parents had come the time. So it's not like I didn't have an advocate there for me. I'm like, and your lymph nodes are all swollen. So here they're like, follow up with a physician. It doesn't look so great, but we are not here to tell you what it is or isn't. And I follow up with the physician and they're like, you know, we got to do a lot of tests. we got to prepare you for the worst. And here I am at 25, just graduated, full of dreams and hopes and how I'm going to live my life. Um, also newly engaged and my world is turned upside down in a matter of, you know, two days. Thankfully, it came out that it was a benign tumor on my liver. They had to go through so many procedures and checks and, and it was a really scare and they didn't know for sure. It was small enough that they just wanted to keep monitoring it, but it really shakes you to the core, especially when you're young and you feel invincible and you're just starting out in your career and you're like, oh my gosh, I have all these dreams. I want kids. I want a family. I want to make a great living and it kind of puts you, stops you right in your tracks.
1: Tell me a little bit about where you were in your life at that point. Were you thinking seriously about your finances and your future, or were you more of a happy-go-lucky 25-year-old?
0: Great question. So, I was thinking pretty seriously about my future. I worked, started right out of college in the financial uh, services world. So, I was surrounded by it daily. And I was thinking, so here I thought, oh, I just have all these years ahead of me to save. And I was also somewhat that free spirited 25 year old, like, you know, live now, but also think about the future. But I was enjoying life and traveling and working. And I guess I. At that point in my life, I was like, oh, I have so much time ahead of me. I had no idea that in a course of a one doctor's visit, your world could be turned upside down.
1: So this idea that life was not forever, certainly you had to question what your plans were, what your future was going to be. Talk about early adulthood. It sounds to me like you had a decent amount of debt. You had a marriage that eventually you got divorced from. Was having this near-death experience, did it affect kind of how you looked at your life coming into your mid-20s?
0: It completely changed my life. I started to realize like things aren't forever, and I needed to be more thoughtful on what my future looked like, what I wanted, and also what made me happy. I think like many young people graduating from school, you know, you're told by all your professors, you get into these careers, you're going to make a ton of money. And I realized that while money was important, and it was certainly a tool to get me to do some of the things that I was passionate about, finding what I was passionate about, what I valued, was so much more important than the money, the money, I could be more, the money could be more useful if I knew what I valued. my twenties were pretty tumultuous. I mean, I graduated with over a hundred thousand dollars of college student loan debt, quickly found out uh, that I had a health scare that really didn't go away. I dealt with it for seven years until I had to have half my uh, liver removed and was in a marriage. We went through job loss. We went through the great um, recession of 2007 to 2009. And we're two young people trying to figure it out. And then a surprise baby came and then being a mom on top of all of it and starting a practice and really trying to say, like, what do I want my life to look like? What does my best life look like? And, you know, they make this statement all the time for like weight loss. You know, even if you lose the weight doesn't mean you're going to be happy. Well, just because you get the money doesn't mean you're going to be happy. So looking beyond what the money... Sure, it could relieve some debt. Sure, it could help with job transition with my ex husband. And sure, it could help with a bunch of things. But was it going to make me happy? And was I truly living kind of with a purpose? And that I think over the years, I can empathize with clients way more because I meet those 55 year olds, those 60 year olds who have worked hard all their life and were at a grind that they weren't happy with. And now we're like, oh my gosh, life is short. I'm My peers are passing away and I need to live with more with purpose and do something that brings me joy and that I value.
1: You were in the financial services industry at the time as you are now. How was such talk received? I mean, you're talking about purpose. You're talking about meaning. This is far afield from the basic financial talk you'll normally get when you go see an advisor. Was it accepted that you wanted to talk and think about these things with your clients?
0: You know, it wasn't necessarily, but it was really welcome because people started to realize like they were making some decisions that really were impactful and that were emotional versus being thoughtful on it. And, you know, the number one reason people get divorced is financial. Sometimes in marriage, one spouse is more emotionally driven with money. And one is more rational and practical. And as the number one reason people get divorced is finances. And I brought that conversation as a young divorced 30-year-old with people that I was sitting with that were married 20, 30 years, I brought that conversation to a head. And it was it was real and it was authentic. And people realized that, and I've realized, the financial services model is completely broken. It's been broken. It's about people do a plan and it's a guise to sell you some product. You know what? The products are a commodity. You can get them anywhere. The guidance and advice and someone to help get you through some of those life transitions and those things of like, Hey, you know what? I've been on a plane every day, every week for the last 20 years. And I missed countless baseball games, countless daughter's dances and all this stuff. I don't want to do it anymore. I still need to make money. Do I need to make as much as I was? Do I need to, how do I just start to enjoy life and be present. And when you got down to it, they really were receptive of it because they realized it wasn't some magic tool or magic wand or magic investment that was going to get them there. Sometimes it was some deep soul searching and saying, okay, well, then how let's get your roadmap mapped out. Tell me where you want to go. Tell me what you both, especially if it was a couple, tell me what you both want to do. And then let's figure it out and how to match the money and what you need to it versus here's this great product. Here's this plan that it should be because that's what everyone else should be. What I value and what someone else values is completely different. So let's work around what you value, what's important to you.
1: What you're talking about is the holistic approach to a financial plan, Tell me nuts and bolts what that conversation looks like, especially at the beginning, because again, often clients are going to come in and they're going to expect you're going to talk to them about those specific commodities. How do you breach the subject of more their meaning and purpose in life? How does that conversation start?
0: I'm very, uh, it's very simple. You know, you can Google all day long and find out, like, oh, only spend, you know, 15 to 20% on travel or household or what your mortgage should be and google all this stuff and that's all it is it's stuff and it's generalizations and what I tell people is I want to get to know you I want to understand what do you value because I may value eating out eating out dinner every night is my social is my entertainment is my everything and they may value travel and they may never eat out and scrimp and save and make sure that they can take ten thousand twenty thousand dollar vacations. And I don't care where you spend your money. I care that are you saving enough to reach your goals? And first, what are your goals? They may be completely then different than your neighbors, than someone else. And you doesn't matter how much money you make, just just like the person who loses weight, it doesn't matter how much weight you lose. If you don't fix the inside first and really determine what it is that makes you happy? Is it because you have kids that live on both coasts and you want to be able to go there once a month? Great. Is that what's going to make you happy? then we got to figure out how to do it. And we got to figure out how to make your money work enough so that you can do it. But until we know what that is, you're not going to be happy because there is no magic pill. There is no magic investment option. We have to determine what it is that you're looking for and what's important to you.
1: I connect so much with what you're saying there. I lost about 20 pounds a few years ago, and I remember thinking that losing weight would solve the problem. And actually, for me, solving the problem was looking differently at food, which was a whole different issue than the weight itself I also connect to this idea of people Googling about their finances and coming in and talking to you, because as a physician, people would often Google about their symptoms or the disease processes, and they would bring in all this data. But the problem is that they couldn't put it together so they could get the data points. And I imagine for you, it's the same thing. People can come in and say, I want to invest in this. I want to do this with my money. But unless they understand the glue that sticks all those assets together correctly, they often struggle to make a plan that works for themselves.
0: A hundred percent. And you know, people can manage their own money. People can do their own plan. The issue is, is, and there's all these wonderful technologies out there, the issue is an algorithm can't solve for your need and desire that's inside. Sometimes it's the guidance and it's the advice from a professional that really understands more meaningful things on how to get you to where you want to be.
1: It really begs the question, how often is money the issue when people come to see you? I know it sounds like a silly thing to ask a financial advisor, but is that usually their major problem when they walk in the door?
0: They always come with a different problem and they think it's money. And I'll say 95 to 99% of the time, it's not money. It's something else. And it takes us just like, you know, you know, being previously you were a physician, just like being a physician, sometimes it's like a person comes in with symptoms, and they are dead set. It's this, this is the problem. And after doing a little digging and and really getting to understand them, getting to know them and their goals and their wants and their values, and actually, we call something we do something here called honest conversations and we dig deep and we start to have honest conversations with a couple and it's interesting what comes out we'll find a husband and wife that all of a sudden you know the wife is fearful about money because when she grew up there never was enough and they never actually really talked about that as a couple and now they realize like you know husband may realize oh that's why she's nagging me all the time on what i spend it, you know she doesn't know enough or vice versa we see it all the time so It really opens up the dialogue and it opens up a dialogue that people just aren't used to. And we are in such a world today that we just want instant answers. We want instant gratification. And sometimes when people are willing to invest a little bit of time, so not money, time into really learning about um, themselves and what they're looking for, we can figure out the problem and it's not money. 99% of the time, it's not money.
1: I imagine often you feel like you have to take the role almost of the therapist. You know, I've done a lot of thinking about this idea of money scripts, right? These ideas that we hold from childhood that have been ingrained in us, sometimes from generations of teaching and modeling that we've received from those who came before us. And it takes almost the equivalent of real therapy to get around some of those to figure out what your true quote unquote money issues really are.
0: Yeah, we have a proprietary process here. And we define, you know, what kind of money mind are you? And it's how your quick brain makes decisions. So very much like therapy, when I know someone is a happiness money mind, or a commitment money mind, or protector money mind, there's three different ones, it gives me insight to them. And I understand, you know, if you are a protector money mind, you're never gonna feel like you have enough money. I could tell you till you're blue in the face, but you are so worried and protective of what you have. And if you're a commitment money mind, which I have a lot of those as well, you know you're worried about everyone else and putting everyone else's needs before your own. And I see that a lot too. And I see that a lot when people are going through job transitions and they're, you know, late forties, fifties when they're like, eh, "This is not. I've been at this grind for twenty years. This isn't." this isn't what I want. This isn't what gets me up in the morning. And I got to make a change because they've been working for everyone else in their life. They have put everyone else's needs, whether it's their significant other, spouse, their children. And now it's time for them to put some of their own needs in front of, in front of everyone else. So yes, it's a much like therapy in really figuring out who they are, how they think about money. So it's that money mind, we take them through a money mind process and then an honest conversations and really start to get to know someone and be able to build their journey for them. There is, you know, holistic financial planning has been thrown around just like a lot of times holistic medicine is thrown around it became a buzzword and people used it, but you know, were they really using it and were they really getting to know and really getting to know the whole person? I'll say for the most part, no. And for us, the client that works best with us is the ones who do want to understand like they're okay with us breaking down their values. So we can really design a plan that's based around them and only them. And it's unique to them.
1: You used a little bit ago, the term quick mind. And I love that because it kind of harks back to this idea of the reptilian mind, this evolutionary, quick response, subconscious decision-making that we do. And so many people don't realize that a lot of their financial behaviors are driven by these below-the-surface beliefs and ideas, and they're reflexive. And I know breaking down what's going on in someone's life or working on the financial plan often means stepping in and slowing that process down so they can be more thoughtful about what they're doing. Absolutely. I'm going to quote you here or something close to a quote of something I saw on your website. You talk about control that which is controllable and let go of the uncontrollables. How much of your financial planning or discussing with people is telling them that they have to let go of certain things that are out of their control? Is that a big part of the plan? There,
0: there is a big portion of that. You know, We all want to have, we all wish we had that that crystal ball to tell us what everything looks like and that everything is going to be okay. And and I'll just tell you, I use my own experience, certainly for people, you know, I had a vision. I had a vision of what my life was going to look like. And guess what? It turned out nothing like it was supposed to. It still turned out good. It is great actually. But part of that was when I did go through turmoil, part of it was getting educated so that I could make decisions with confidence going forward when those I'll call them detours come. And the best way I explain it to a client is, you know, if they if you were in uh, Illinois and you wanted to drive to California and you know that there might be some internet outages on the way, I have to educate you enough to get there so that if there's a detour, that you have to make, that you're going to feel confident enough making that decision on that detour. There may be none, which is great, but there may be three or four that we're going to have to navigate on our way. And the more you can get educated about your situation and where you're going on your journey, the better you're going to be to navigate those detours that come. And nine times out of 10, there are detours in life. And you know we just can't predict everything. We can't plan for everything. But certainly, we can control what we can right now, control the controllables. And I always tell people, who would have thought this last year with COVID-19 would have been what it was? And who would have thought we'd be in lockdowns and things? I mean, these are things that are unimaginable. And those are things we just can't predict. We don't know what that's going to look like. So control the controllables, get educated, understand the what ifs and what are those road bumps or detours possibly going to be and how might we handle them. But listen, we're not going to focus on that. You're not going to focus on what if all the time. You're going to be prepared. And at the end of the day, if it never happens, great. If it does, you're prepared to make those decisions and you have a game plan um, to navigate those detours
1: let's talk a little more about those detours. You mentioned, or we talked about the idea of a health scare. Divorce is another one. You went through that and you are also a certified divorce financial analyst. What does that mean exactly?
0: Certainly. So I've gone through extra courses to really get educated on the divorce process, the different types of divorce processes, and really, there's so many financial components to divorce. Um, Attorneys know enough, but they—they're that's not their—that's not their knowledge base is all the finances and intricacies of, hey, this is better from a tax perspective, this isn't. I went through divorce pretty young. Um, I was 28 when I got divorced. I had been married uh, almost five years at that point, four and a half years. And at that point I realized, oh gosh, there's so much I don't know. And so much of this process is emotional and financial and how you can make so many errors In judgment and by being an emotional. I'll say emotionally vulnerable place. So I do work with a lot of divorcees, men and women, and I really try and bring the educational, rational approach to their divorce and try and get over that emotional hurdle and start doing some planning for them so that they can see beyond the chaos that they might be in in the moment. And again, look beyond that so that they can see their future. And again, and also try and realize, go through some of those same exercises. What do you value? What do you want? Okay, this chapter is gonna be closing, but let's look at the next chapter. What do you want? And how do we get you there? And then again, life is about trade-offs. So you can have your best life and not have everything. You don't have to have the, the house, the car, the big job to be living your best life. You can be living your best life without having those things. So, but we got to identify what your best life is. And that's really what we focus on. And I think in divorce, out of everything, it's really getting people to realize what that looks like. And when you are emotionally vulnerable, um, and that goes for any major life transition, divorce, job loss, loss of a loved one, helping your aging parents, you're not necessarily thinking rationally and you're not necessarily thinking about a greater plan. You're thinking right now. So I really try in my background in being a certified divorce financial analyst and really understanding the intricacies and in tax benefits, pros, cons to different division of assets certainly helps. And then adding that component on getting someone to identify what they value so we can come up with a plan and not give the attorneys all the money. I mean, I love attorneys, but you know, I tell my clients, do you wanna pay for their kids to go through college? You know, Let's think about this in a rational way and let's figure out what your best life is and um, start living it. And sometimes getting rid of some of that toxic stuff in your life helps you start living that best life. Even if your trade-off is, I'm gonna give up some money or some assets, it's worth it. And so helping, helping someone define what that is for them.
1: One thing I found is people going through divorce often just need a lot of reassurance that they can survive it. How often are you finding that it actually devastates your client's financial plans?
0: It certainly does devastate maybe the vision that they always had for their life as they were like right into the sunset. I like to call it, it devastates their vision. Does it devastate their life? I'll say no. Why? Because my job is helping them figure out what their life is going to look like now and helping them re-envision their best life. And again, everything's about trade-offs. Do you want to be in a terrible marriage, but yet have everything and be lonelier with someone than without? And I got to tell you, most clients, when we start talking, we start getting down to the nitty gritty. They'll give up the big house. They'll give up the car and they'll say, you know what? I'm living in a tiny little condo, but I've never been happier and I'm fulfilled. I may not have as much money as I had before, but I have a roof over my head. I have money to do those things, and I value things different. I think that's it too. They start to value. So, um, in a traditional sense, does it? Do I see clients who are devastated? Yes. You know, a client may have had millions of dollars and are down to, you know, a very very modest. And the rest of America may say it's great, but to them, it's night and day from where they were. However, they look at it way different. And that's really, I find one of the best parts of my job is to help them realize, like, let's design your best life. And I think when I see them, the light bulb moment come on in their heads where they're like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it this way. And, you know, I was thinking dollar and cents and I still wasn't happy again, back to that weight loss thing. And they start to realize what makes them happy.
1: We mentioned their expectations. You also talked a touch about taxes. What are some of the other unique challenges of people going through a divorce, especially financially, that they don't usually think about?
0: I think one of them is the division of assets. I find a lot of attorneys don't talk about that. And depending on, you know, the client I'm working for, it's like the attorney may have come up with, or the other the their ex-spouse is coming up with a division of assets, and they end up getting a whole heck of a lot less because they're all the assets that still need to be taxed, like retirement assets and such, where we could make it a little bit more even if we split some non retirement Assets. So I think taxes comes into also, you know, tax law for divorce is consistently, it's constantly changing on a federal level, state level. So, really understanding again, we can control the controllables, the laws as we know them now, but also be prepared for okay, well, if this were to come down the pipeline, if spousal support is going to be tax free or taxable at some point or tax write off understanding what that looks like. And then it's really just understanding and sometimes educating on the different assets, what they act, what they own and what the trade-off again is from a tax perspective. Here's the offer that they put on. Well, let's, you can get the same amount, but we'll split it this way. Now this taxes have been split equally.
1: In the first half of the show, Nicole and I talk about her health scare as well as divorce and how they affected her financial future. After the break, we delve into honest conversations and why they're important. But first... You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right, we've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later... you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code EARN50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code EARN50 at factormeals.com slash EARN50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Wish you were in early on some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? Our crowd investors were, and now you can join them in what's next. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Shield, an AI powered platform that helps global financial enterprises meet increasingly complex communications compliance rules. SHIELD addresses an $89 billion market with tools that automatically detect and alert on behaviors leading to market abuse, employee misconduct, and information sharing. You can get in early on SHIELD and other unique opportunities at slash eai. The rcrowd account is free. Just go to slash eai. So it sounds like what you focus on on second opinion partners is the big life changes, right? Either expected or not expected. You guys use approach called life print advantage. What is that? And exactly
0: how does it work? Great question. So the life print advantage is very much our, I had spoken a little bit about that money mind that we try and determine what kind of money mind a client is. We have a nice little quiz that they take, and then we take them through a process called honest conversations. And that's really where we start to figure out what they value, how they value it. And then from there, we design the financial plan for them. You know, everybody has an advisor. It's either themselves or they pay someone. And we know that. And we think the financial services model is broken. So we wanted to come up with just like you would in the medical field, you know, someone, you're either, gosh, I don't know if I feel right. i would kind of talked to my doctor, but I'm not really sure. Or, you know, I've been doing this on my own for so long. Maybe I should just get it checked out. So we came up with a process, proprietary process called the Life Print Advantage, where someone can come get a second opinion on what they're currently doing. And we're looking at everything from investments to insurance to tax planning and the retirement planning and really seeing like, are they on course for what they want and what they value? And again, it's always an enlightening situation because they come in with, Hey, you know, I've been managing my money forever on my own and I don't feel like I'm getting a good return. And then I come to find out, well, you know what? The real thing is, is that they're not happy at their job. They are like a protector money mind. So they'll never feel like they actually have enough. And they kind of want to not be in charge of people, maybe get a new job, but just kind of take a step back a bit. And what the real problem is, is they want to understand how much money they can earn and still manage the same lifestyle. So it's like a long way around the lake, but we have to figure out that something else is driving their. Their worry about not getting enough return. It, it was never about the return that they're getting on their portfolio. It was something else. So we find that quite a bit. So this process is pretty comprehensive, taking people through several meetings. Sometimes it's more than not because we spend a lot of time on that front end if that's where the clients need to be. And that's through that honest conversations and getting their values kind of out. And then um, really getting a plan in place. And then like I always say, you know, I'm gonna give client a prescription. They can go fill their prescription at any pharmacy they want. I'm not here to sell them and tell them why they need to work with us. Um, We do have clients. We have a pharmacy. It's kind of like being in a hospital. We have a pharmacy if you need it, but you don't have to use our pharmacy. You can go anywhere. And sometimes we only fill certain prescriptions at our pharmacy, but anyone can go through a second opinion.
1: And it's very clear from the name of your practice, Second Opinion Partners, that people probably come to you for primary financial planning, but you also probably get a lot of business out of people who just want you to look at their plan and give you give them kind of a thumbs up or a thumbs down. There are a lot of people out there who still really believe in the DIY approach. You've done a lot of these second opinions. How are the DIYers doing out there? Are they generally getting it right? Or are you finding that it's complex enough where people mostly need more help?
0: So they are doing pretty well. Remember, I like to... I think I said at the beginning of the show, a lot of the products and investment strategies are a commodity. You can get them anywhere. You can log on to some of the major financial institutions and and have a decent portfolio. So I think advisors today are... Their value becomes the guidance and advice for everything an algorithm can't solve. And for most of the DIYs that have come to us or that hire us once once a year, every other year to just review what they're doing, they're doing good and they don't need us necessarily now. They've needed us maybe to navigate a certain situation, uh, transition, and they realize that they may need us in the future. And um, some of the examples are husband and wife, husband loves doing it. He manages the money, he gets a kick out of it, likes looking on his accounts every day, picking the allocation. However, he's starting to feel his mortality. Someone close has passed away. He wants his wife not to get it taken advantage of um, by someone in our industry. So he wants to get wants her to get educated on things and at least have a resource to go to when maybe he's no longer in a position to handle it fully. I would say most people are doing really good on their own. And there's some fine-tuned adjustments that they make after going through our process. A lot of it has to do with level of risk and what they're looking for. And once we educate them on risk, they have a whole new appreciation of saying, okay, now I get it. Now I understand why you know, people talk about asset allocation. I understand about why people focus on the downside of the market sometimes and not just the upside. So It's a really a good position for them to get educated. And then sometimes it's educated on things that they're not even thinking of from titling of their accounts, from an estate planning perspective, from beneficiaries. I mean, all of that stuff we go through on the second opinion. So it's not just investments, but estate planning or taxes are totally being inefficient from a tax perspective. And they walk away with value. They got value. Some clients say, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like, I just want you guys to do it because obviously I haven't paid attention to all these things. And there's like 30 changes to make. And they have nothing to necessarily do with the investment portion. It might be a tax, estate planning, whatever. And some are like, okay, great. I'll make that adjustment. And then they come back to us and pay us. They know how we got paid. And I think that's important. It's not a guise to sell any product. We're here to educate so that people can make decisions with confidence.
1: Have you found that the COVID pandemic and associated pandemic recession has changed the narrative at all, either in the clients that are coming to you or the advice you're now giving?
0: Yes. From the standpoint of you know, we can only control what we can and some things that felt so predictable are not. And to really, I think for clients who were slightly more aggressive, just aggressive in life period, you know, take more risk kind of people really take a step back and say, oh gosh, you know, who knew that so many of our, I'll say freedoms in daily life and how we are living and go to work can be taken away from us in a, in a hot second, and how that could really change someone's financial situation. Also, I think it's really put into perspective, you know, the clients I've met with that I'm like, hey, you got to hire an attorney, you need your estate planning put together, you have to have a trust and a will, you know, you live in a state, we're here in Chicago, Illinois, however, we have clients in 42 states, Chicago, Illinois, you at $100,000 is when you really start to have to have estate planning in in place. And so I think when things, sometimes we have clients that feel they're going to be alive forever. So when I say, get your estate planning done or make some of these changes, I'll do it next year. I think this year was a big wake up call to say like, you know, tomorrow it was, it was a realization that tomorrow is not promised. It's one thing to, I think everyone said it over the years, but it's another when people are seeing it nonstop on the news and seeing it really they know know somebody of know somebody or maybe had someone close to them.
1: The name of your book is titled Navigating Life's Transitions, Connecting Your Means to Your Meeting. At somewhere in the materials I read, you ask a question, what is true wealth? And I wanna throw that same kind of question back to you after not only going through the life circumstances you went through, but also being a financial advisor. What is true wealth? How should we be defining it?
0: You know it's everything for me, it's like everything that death can't take away, and you know, I think it's one thing to say it. I think it's another thing to actually live it and I talk about my own experience i grew up on the north shore of chicago um very affluent suburbs and i definitely had a vision that i'd live in this multi million dollar home i'd drive you know 100,000 dollar cars and my life would be a certain way and i think when your life is thrown for a loop and you realize like you can't take any of that with you to the grave. And is it making me any happier? Or am I living then with this burden of stress of having to keep up and, and pay down debt? And the reality is for me, yes, it was. And now when I say live a simple life, I have a very privileged life more than any, I mean, being very realistic, I travel is my passion. I have been to 21 countries, I love to travel. But I live a simple life as I'm not living in a multi-million-dollar home because I choose to say, listen, at one point, if I want to slow down or not work as hard as I'm working, I have the means to do that. It's more important for me to have time to be with my son and to make sure he's giving him the lessons of living your best life. So true wealth is everything money can't buy and death can't take away for me.
1: You talk about finding your best life as well as meaning and purpose. I'm wondering when you put it all together, do you feel like money helps and is a tool to get people there? Or do you think it actually detracts from people finding their true meaning and purpose?
0: I believe sometimes it's, it's a tool that to got you there for sure. Occasionally it detracts, you know, I think we live in a world today, you know, where you're scrolling on an Instagram or social media, Facebook, and you see everything that everyone else has, or you see these wonderful influencers and it really detracts from finding that meaning of true life for most people, because we are in this, you know, world of just seeing everybody's everything all the time, where before you could have like a little bit of a private life and no one really knew, you know, we call it, there's a great book, The Millionaire Next Door, which I love. And I've really modeled my life that way. You know, I don't need to show I, I, I'm living my best life. It doesn't mean it has to be a big house and a big car. So I believe it does detract today on some of those things.
1: Yeah. The Millionaire Next Door author, Stanley and Danko, when they talked of things such as stealth wealth, I can't imagine uh, them thinking about what life would be like in our Instagram and Facebook world. It was a different world when they wrote the book. Fabulous, fabulous book. Mm -hmm. But our ideas of wealth and how we show it are much different than they were back then. You mentioned influencers. I came to personal finance through the financial independence, retire early, or fire movement. There has been a bigger push for people to try to retire or at least get out of the traditional workforce earlier than previous. What do you think about that? And what are you seeing with your clients?
0: I think it's great. Again, we all define what our best life is differently. So if yours is not getting out of the, you know, Dr. G, you said it yourself, you were a doctor and working probably long hours, and you weren't maybe getting gratification that you wanted out of it. And so if it meant retiring so that you could do something that you valued or semi retiring or retiring into, I call this retiring into something else, but you're financially independent. So if it doesn't work out, if you want to go write blogs, or volunteer or whatever it is, and you can be financially independent. I think it's a wonderful thing. I think life is short. We're not promised. I always tell people, I'm like, listen, you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. That's why I always say to control controllables and stop worrying, you know, just get educated about everything and make decisions. But I think it's a wonderful thing. If that for me, I look at it like I love what I do every day. I have such passion. So, you know, my team and I were talking about if we won the lotto, and I think people think, Oh yeah, right. Nicole, you would actually continue to work, but I don't feel like I'm working when I meet with people. Like I love it because I love having, I love that maybe they don't need to go through a health scare or a job loss or divorce to realize that they could be living their best life listen, I've been through it. I don't want it to come to some major life moment that has to wake them up. If I can help them wake up well before that and start living their best life, that's to me is just magical and i feel awesome and so i would continue to work even if i won the lotto but not everyone feels that passion where they work and that's okay so i think that movement is fabulous and i think it's really very close to calling like live your best life movement because your best life might be traveling and writing travel blogs I, you know i think that could be my second best life i love what i do but like that That would be for me, so i think I think it's fabulous.
1: you were talking about you and your colleagues discussing what you'd do if you won the lotto, and I call that the reverse lottery test. like assume you won the lottery and have ten million more dollars than you had before. What types of work would you keep doing even if you weren't getting paid for it? And I know in my career, as I kept pulling away the pieces of medicine that I didn't enjoy. I found that hospice and palliative care was the thing that I would keep doing even if I wasn't being paid for it. And based on that criteria, I knew that that was something I shouldn't let go of as I left the rest of traditional medicine. And it sounds like you're in the same situation as you get further in your own financial path. You can ask yourself, well, what would I do? Because it brings me more fulfillment, more meaning, more purpose, regardless of the money. And for you, financial advising still answers that calling.
0: And I have started a little bit of a movement on social media. Like I want to be in, and I, I'm working at, um, on Instagram at live your best life underscore Nicole. It's really helping people realize that living your best life is more than everything else that you see. So I'm getting to do some of the things that I love and enjoy even outside my traditional advising role while I'm working, which is amazing.
1: So give me your elevator pitch here. There are a lot of young 20-year-olds listening to this show or out there in the world trying to figure out what they should be doing right and wrong with their personal finances. Sum up what you've learned over the time, both what you've gone through personally and as a financial advisor. Is there some simple advice we can give them that says, hey, you're 20 years old. This is where you got to be looking.
0: So I almost want to give them the advice before, um, before they're 20, like when they're a teenager and like looking at colleges and, you know, so I'll, I'll start there. Like, you know, what I, what I wish I would have known. So what I wish I would have known, you know, being the uh, young teenager looking at colleges was, that that debt was going to be suffocating to me and that I'm was going to be successful whether I went to an amazing school or whether I went to a less expense whether I went to expensive school or a less expensive school. I have the drive and the passion within myself that I would have been successful no matter where that degree came from. And it probably wasn't worth the stress to have that debt and have to work to pay it off, you know, into my 20s and early 30s paying that off. But you know, if I look at the 20 year old now, and 20 something year old now listening, maybe for right out of college, I'd say get a plan together, you know, start to start to and that plan is not say, Oh, save $20 here, save 100 here saving your 401k. Yes, it is that too, but what do you value? What's most important to you? And get a vision. What is your vision for your life? So I had it like I'll call my vision for my life one that was like, you know, the Cinderella vision that we have as little girls. I'm gonna get married, have children, have a job. You know, mine was very progressive in the standpoint. I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom ever. I always wanted to work. I always wanted to be a career person, but I I never pictured any of the maybe Obstacles that would come in my way. So I find that I meet a lot of 20 something year olds today, my clients' children, my clients' grandchildren, that don't necessarily have a direction or a vision of what they want their life to look like, but like, you have a magic wand, wave your magic wand. What does it look like today? Okay, let's start there because that's what you value. Obviously, if it's traveling all the time, great. And what's the trade-off? What are you willing to give up to have that? And I think starting there and then comes the financial component to say, okay, what do I need to get there? That's my vision. What do I need to get there? And guess what? It may be hustling really hard to get there. Nothing comes easy. You know, if you want something bad enough, you have to be willing to work for it. And Saving is important as much as you want to live now. It's so important to save so that you have the freedom. Saving and having money put aside gives you freedom freedom now and freedom down the road.
1: I love this idea of the live your best life now movement, because I think up to this point, we've really had only YOLO. You only live once. And the problem with you only live once is it almost precludes also building a good, stable financial plan beside what's happening at the moment. Whereas when you talk about live your best life now, it includes this idea of both figuring out your meaning and purpose, which may pivot over time. Mm -hmm. Who knows what's going to happen in your life? What's going to hit us? There are all sorts of things, unfortunately, that we can't control but that you can build a solid financial plan next to that and almost live the best of both worlds. Nicole Mayer, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I'd like to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what's up next in your life and if people want to interact with you more where they can find you on the internet.
0: Definitely find, um, you can certainly find me on Instagram at liveyourbestlife underscore Nicole. You can also find me at www.lyblnow dot com, live your best life now dot com, now dot com and secondpartners.com. Thank you so much for having us or having me. It was great.
1: And any big projects coming up for you?
0: Yes. We actually are about to launch a live your best life course um, to teach people so that they don't have to necessarily become a client, but they can go online, figure out how they can start living their best life now, whether you're 20, you're 60, the course is for you. And there's additional courses that are gonna be offered, job transition, if you're going through a job transition, divorce, and many more. So super excited to share those. If you DM me on in Instagram, I'll certainly give you a coupon code for the Live Your Best Life course.
1: This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Dot G, I'd like to thank Nicole Mayer. That's a wrap. Are you an earner or an investor? It's time for the community section. Listen, if you're interested in being part of this community, the best way to do it is to go to our Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash group slash earn and invest Over there, we talk about issues just like we do on the episodes. Sometimes we talk about personal finance, other times the FIRE community. Occasionally, we might even touch on politics. It is a place to talk to like-minded people, get new opinions, and continue the conversation that we start in each episode. This is the community section today, and I wanted to discuss... Episode 191, Rethinking Your Real Estate Game. I did a Facebook Live to talk about this episode on the day it dropped. And we were talking about this idea of flipping land and how it is as an investment. And Joanne Fredrickson in our Facebook group Commented, I don't know how others felt about today's show, but honestly, I felt bad for the sellers who sold at 25 to 30% of fair market value. They simply didn't know the true value of what they owned. It sort of felt like exploiting people's lack of knowledge. And I'm wondering what others thought. BTW, I love this podcast. Well, thank you, Joanne, for commenting. What she's talking about is the people we talked about on the land flipping episode from the Land Academy often mentioned that they put out mass flyers to buy land and usually these went out to thousands and thousands of people and they had computer algorithms which would populate those flyers with a price for the person's land, an offer that was often 25 to 30 percent of fair market value. The idea with land flippers is if you send these flyers out to tens of thousands of people, you'll get a few bites. And to make a profit, you don't need 100 or 200 pieces of property. If 5 or 10 people respond, that can be fairly lucrative. But I guess the bigger question from Joanne is, is it fair? And I think this is a major discussion point, right? Because we don't ever really want to take advantage I think Joanne Fredrickson is an investor, but she wants to be an investor in a fair and ethical way. And I salute her for bringing up this question. So is it unethical the way these land flippers are structuring their deals? I guess it depends how you look at it. The truth of the matter is there's lots of people who have these parcels of land that they've been holding onto them forever. Maybe they got them in an inheritance. Maybe they bought it because they thought they were going to build and then decided not to who are holding on to this land for sometimes years, sometimes decades, and never doing anything with it. So the idea behind Land Academy is, let's make it easy for these people to sell their land that they're holding on to that they don't know how to get rid of, Let's give them an opportunity to both benefit them and benefit us. So the real question is, is this ethical? Well, Joanne, I think it really depends on how upfront you are as the buyer. If I remember cor- correctly, the Land Academy, when they send out their flyers, they do put the actual value of the property and then an offer. Therefore, people know exactly what the value is as well as what they're willing to pay. And I think they're very upfront and honest with this idea that we buy things at a deep discount, but you go with us because it's easy. I mean, think about this. If you've had this piece of land and you've been stressing about it, maybe for years, and all of a sudden you get an offer in the mail and it says, boom, sign here and here's your money for a certain segment of the population... That's going to be really easy, and they're going to jump at that. I think the second part of the equation is that there is someone there answering the phone so that when a person with a parcel of land possibly to sell calls up and asks questions, you get a real live human being on the other end of the line who's willing to tell you the truth, right? We never want to lie to people. I mean, I love this idea of making money. But we want to do it in an upfront and ethical way. I mean, there are a bunch of ethical ways to make money. There's no reason that we should have to swindle someone out of what's due to them. And so I think this is a great point, Joanne. Thank you for bringing it up. We always have to be careful. I think there's a way for us to both make money and to be ethical. I really think that we should look at those options First, and try to stick to them, you know, this idea of stealing something from someone or at least giving them a bad deal when they don't know that's what they're getting is really bad. And hopefully we can all build our wealth together without having to do such underhanded things. So that's it. Joanne is an investor, but she's an ethical one, just as I hope the rest of us are here at Earn and Invest. Check us out again at the Facebook group, that's facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest to have conversations like these. I've also been doing more Facebook Lives, usually on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, often in the morning, and I'm likely to talk about an episode that just dropped, an episode that's coming in the future, possibly a recording that I'm doing that day or whatever happens to be on my mind. I hope to see you there, become part of our community, and become part of this conversation. And if you want to go back and listen to the Land Flipping episode, that's episode 191, just go to earnandinvest.com slash 191.
0: Thank you.
1: Cool. That was a lot of fun.
0: That was fun. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, no problem. Any questions about the podcast? Usually I'll tell you that your episode tends to run six to eight weeks after recording because I have a bunch in the bin and I edit it up. And I will usually send you a copy a few days before so you can take a listen. And then the day before, I'll send you the final links and images and those kind of things so you can promote them as you wish.
0: Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. It was great.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think it's a good I think it's a good narrative to talk about. And I think we have to do this over and over again is talk about this idea that money only takes you so far. Like not managing your money will definitely hurt you in the end, but yeah. just managing your money without putting much thought into what's important to you and and as you say living your best life that's not going to help you either. And and kind of helping people understand that both narratives are important.
0: Agree. 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 Thank you. It was so fun. It was great conversation.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. And I will let you know, as things get closer, I hope you have a good, good week. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the daily crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts.